Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's a real privilege to be here. Uh, as the video showed, uh, I'm part of a missions organization called Steiger, uh, and we go all over the world, uh, and we lift up the name of Jesus in a way that people can understand. Uh, I do come with a heavy heart because a lot of the images that you saw in that video of, of, are, of, are of leaders of ours in Ukraine. Um, we have um, many, many leaders and missionaries and volunteers throughout that country. Um, I personally have been there over 15 times um, in various capacities. And so for us, this isn't a news story. These are brothers and sisters. These are people that uh, we love dearly who are in the midst of um, a, an incredibly tragic and uh, devastating time. Um, we, we've been on calls every day. We're trying to figure out how to get our young families across the border. We have young leaders who refuse to leave, who are instead there to help uh, and to continue to do whatever they can to relieve the suffering. Uh, and so this is a really, it's a, it's a tough time for me uh, because it, it, it both puts everything else I do in a different light, but it also increases the urgency of the mission that we have to lift up the name of Jesus because we live in a world that is, is heading in the wrong direction. Uh, and this is just further evidence of that. So keep your crane in your prayers. Um, because it is, a, it is ultimately a, a global problem uh, if it continues to escalate uh, beyond just the suffering that's happening in that country itself. So a few ways to connect with me, with us. Uh, if what I say this morning resonates with you, we have a podcast called Provoke and Inspire. It's kind of our weekly voice related to our mission. Uh, we, we attempt to answer the question, how can I be faithful for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? Uh, we have the privilege of bringing on some of the biggest names throughout the Christian world. Uh, we've had Tim Keller and Matt Chandler and Dallas Jenkins from The Chosen and Max Lucado and others who come on and, and we, we together try to answer that question. How can followers of Jesus be faithful in an increasingly post-Christian culture? Uh, I think you'll find that it is a not, not just intellectual, uh, it, it's, a, it's a combination of, of passionate and intellectual and practical and something that I think will really be a benefit uh, for your faith journey, uh, as well as a great way to connect with our mission. Uh, so I won't be offended if, you, if even now you, you grab your phone and you find that and subscribe. Uh, it's wherever uh, podcasts are, you can go and grab that. Um, we also just did a live, uh, live stream interview with one of our leaders in Ukraine just a few days ago. Uh, where he gave live updates from the country, what's happening right now. Uh, it is tragic and compelling at the same time, so check that out. Uh, I have a book uh, that I wrote a few years ago called Jesus in the Secular World, uh, and, and really the title kind of gives it away. How do we bring Jesus to the secular world? Uh, there's books out there. Um, we ask for a $10 donation, but if that's a barrier for you, just grab one. Uh, we'd love for you to be encouraged and blessed. Uh, and related to that, next week... I got three of those, so it's cool. I'm, I'm used to that. <laughs> uh, uh, next week, we have, um, we're doing a seminar. I'm flying back, uh, and we're gonna, from 9 to 2, we're going to be talking in more detail and in a far more practical way, how can we reach a culture in crisis, both here and abroad. So you're going to want to check that out. You do need to register, um, so please do that. Uh, I, like I said, I have a 6, 3, and 1-year-old, so... Uh, make my wife's sacrifice worthwhile, flying here two weekends in a row. Uh, come and check that out. Uh, but really, it's going to be very practical. There's going to be a lot of time for discussion and questions. Um, we're going to try to really get into the details of how we can reach people in our lives who are far from God. So you're not going to want to miss that. Um, and we'll, we'll, you'll hear more about that at the end of the service. You know, the last few years have been really intense. And 
in light of what's happened recently, it's even more intense, especially for those in that part of the world and those who are connected to it. Um, But it's been a weird few years. You know, I remember saying on our podcast right at the end of 2019, uh, I was explaining how I read a book, and and this book was set uh, back in World War II. And, And what really struck me about the book, and it was a true story, was how globally disruptive World War II was. You know, like the entire globe has, is going in this direction. They've got their plans. Everyone's got their dreams and the things they're doing. This event happens and everything changes for everyone. I mean, literally everyone on the planet suddenly is thinking about life differently. P- plans have changed. Dreams have ended. Things are different. And I remember saying in a very funny way on the podcast, you know, it's really weird that I've never experienced anything globally disruptive. You know, relatively speaking, right at the end of 2019, like, man, I've just lived in relative peace and stability and life has just been kind of simple. It's so weird. And they're like, yeah, that is kind of weird. And then 2020 hits and lo and behold, I get to experience something globally disruptive. Um, and I, like so many, made very bold, very dumb predictions, right? All oh, this will be over by April or it'll be over by the summer, surely, or the spring or the end of 2021 or whatever. And it just kept, keeps going. You know, and then you add to that just an increasingly divisive political atmosphere. Now you've got this global crisis. It's like we live in weird times, hard times. And what I want to challenge us with this morning is to stop and ask the question, what does Jesus think about all this? Not what does your favorite news outlet think about this? Not what does your family or your friends or even your church think about this? What does Jesus think about all of this? And maybe more importantly, what would Jesus have us do about all of this? Because as far as I can tell, we really have three options as followers of Jesus. Out of fear, we can retreat. We can say, this is just too much. I'm getting my my family out of the city. You know, I'm from Minneapolis, and a lot of families did that. They said, it's just too crazy around here now. Let's go deeper into the suburbs. Let's get deeper into the country. Let's just get out of here. So out of fear, we can retreat, or out of apathy, we can do nothing. We we maybe don't leave, but we just think, what can I possibly do? The needs are far too great. I am far too little. I'm busy as it is. What am I supposed to do? And out of apathy, we can do nothing. Or I think we can do what Jesus would want us to do and to see crisis as opportunity. I believe followers of Jesus are the most equipped to thrive in chaos, to thrive in difficulty. Why? Well, two reasons. One, we have the truth and we have hope. And if you go outside of these walls, if you talk to people today, the thing that people don't have, the things that people don't have are truth and hope. We've never been more confused about what's right or wrong, where we should go, what the solutions are, And as a result, we are increasingly hopeless. There is a desperation just underneath the facade that we numb with entertainment and busyness, but really there is a desperation outside of these walls and and often inside of them as well. There is a desperation. I believe now more than ever, our voice is needed. And I don't mean political voice. I don't mean some sort of ideological voice. I don't mean... The world needs to hear us yell more or or do more rants on social media. That's not the kind of voice I'm talking about. 
Now more than ever, people need to hear and experience the love and power of Jesus outside of the church. Now more than ever. And yet when it comes to this type of voice from followers of Jesus, I think we've been largely silent. Our voice is not out there. People don't know what we think. They don't know what, they believe, what we believe. They have this distorted, false image of Jesus in their heads, and no one is telling them the truth. And this morning, I want to talk about how can we reclaim our voice in the right sense? How can we be used by God outside of the church? And I want to give you three reasons this morning. First way we reclaim our voice is to get out of our comfort zones. Look, I get it. It's easier to be around people that look like you, act like you, think like you. It's just easier. And we're busy I think busyness, honestly, on a tangent, is probably one of the greatest strategies the enemy has against the church. I'd love to make a difference. I got 30 minutes every other Tuesday. That's a tangent. We need to get out of our comfort zones. I get it, it's just so easy to be around people that are like us, but how can we, how can we share the truth if we're never among the people that need to hear it? Now, you might say, yeah, I interact with people that need to hear the truth. I, you know, I, I see my barista and my neighbor. I do too, right? I, I interact with people all the time. But what I'm talking about is something that is beyond superficial. That I'm interacting with people in an intentional way that pushes beyond the surface. That takes the risk. That, it, that, that produces the kinds of conversations that actually lead to change. You see, Jesus not only just was with people, he was willing to confront the difficult things of life. He, he was really in their lives, in the mess of it all. If we're going to reclaim our voice, our conversations, our interactions with people have to go beyond sports and weather. You know, and for years we can tiptoe to the edge of that line. I'm developing the relationship. I'm developing the relationship. I get it. I feel the tension of that as well. But now more than ever, followers of Jesus need to start asking some real questions and giving some real answers. And here's the thing I've discovered, for all of our fears, for all of the idea that it'll be awkward and it'll be uncomfortable, we make so much more of that in our heads that, than actually plays out in reality. What I've discovered is that people are desperate to talk about something real. People are tired of trivial conversations all day long, trivial conversations, all day long, superficial relationships. What I've discovered is that when you actually just are willing to ask people deep and difficult things, they will open up to you because they are desperate for something real today. Because as I said, they lack truth and they lack hope. And so we have to risk the deeper conversation, ask the spiritual question, engage with people in a deep way. But step one is we have to push through fear and actually be out among those that desperately need to hear our voice. And I know it's not easy. I know it's easier just to do what you've always done and to stay in your routine. I can, I can relate. You know, a lot of what I do in this mission is, is content. It's very itinerant. So I produce video. I produce content in, in the form of podcasts or writing or speaking. I, I lead a, a, an evangelistic band that goes all over the world and uses theater, art, music, and video to present a modern-day depiction of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So everything I do is, is kind of on that stage dynamic. It's in that sort of context. 
you know, we'll go to some country and we'll play in a big open public square in Berlin or, or Rome or somewhere in Europe or South America or, or, or anywhere around the world. We'll, we'll present the gospel, we'll preach the gospel, then we'll invite people to respond, we'll work with local churches and we'll have these great conversations night after night, you know, doing 70, 80 shows in a summer. And so that's where I was getting a lot of my interactions with secular people. I, I was having these dynamic, amazing conversations night after night or in these other ministry contexts around the world. And so when COVID hit, that all kind of went away, right? All, the, the, the way I did ministry went away. And, and month after month, you know, I was doing other things and producing content and teaching and preaching and all that. But there was a part of me that was dying. Like I could feel this spiritual atrophy, that, that this, this part of who I am, the part of who I believe all of us are supposed to be in, in terms of interacting and sharing the love of Jesus with people outside of the church. I, was, I wasn't seeing that. And so as the summer 2021 rolled around, I, we got our media team together and I said, guys, we've got to do something. Like we've got to get out in some way. And so we, we thought, okay, let's grab our cameras and let's go down to the University of Minnesota. It's a huge secular university. And let's just ask people spiritual conversations in a non-religious way. And so that's what we did. We would go week after week, all summer long. And I can tell you that the second this idea came out of my mouth, internally I was like, no, what have I done? <laughs> because I hate this. I mean, to be real honest with you, like, I can do this. You put me in front of 10,000 people, I'll do that all day long. You put me in front of one new person, I'm kind of awkward. Like, it's not my personality. Like, I don't... I don't, I'm not the salesman type. And so for me, it's hard. It's like, I don't want to go and have conversations with strangers, let alone ask them deep spiritual questions that everything about me, all my personality, all of my fears, this is exactly what I would not want to do. And so I was conflicted. And as these weeks would roll around, like as these days would come, I would like think of every excuse in the book. And I'd be like, oh, I could delegate this, you know, or oh, the weather looks a little sketchy. Maybe we should bail like, I'd have to drag myself kicking and screaming, but we went. I didn't listen to the voice. I didn't listen to the busyness. It's amazing. On the days when we would do this, I would get busier than ever before. It was incredible. It's amazing how things came flooding into my inbox or the request for my time on that day, and I had to fight for it. We'd go out there. You know, we'd have our camera. We'd look kind of dumb, and people would reject us. And I would turn to my videographer and say, that's a great way to start your day, a healthy dose of rejection. Um, but then we'd have that one conversation, and then the next conversation, and then the next conversation. And it was like I would turn again to my videographer and I'd say, this is why we're here. The Holy Spirit literally appointed us for this moment to talk to this student whose hearts were ready, and, and, and it's amazing. I mean, just all these deep conversations, and we'd, you know, we'd ask certain questions, like one of our favorite questions was, you know, one of the number one things Googled during the height of the pandemic was, how do I pray? Why do you think that is? You know, and they'd say, oh, you know, some people are religious, I guess, and I'm not really religious, and people rely on that in hard times, and say, you know, that's interesting. You know, I'm not really religious either. You know, because as far as I can tell, religion says you got to do all these things to earn God's love. And he's always upset with you, and it's never enough. That's religion. But what I believe is that there's a God who loves me, who created me, 
I did things that hurt him. I did, I've done things that hurt others that separated me from him. But he didn't leave me like that. He offers me forgiveness. He offers me a free gift. I can't earn it. I'm not better than you. I've just received a free gift. And I want you to receive this too. I want you to experience the forgiveness and the freedom that I have. And I'm able to, I'm, I'm explaining the gospel day after day, praying with these students. Unbelievable experiences. I remember this guy comes up to us. We're about ready to leave. And he's like, hey, you guys are Christians, aren't you? Like, yes. And um, I said, tell me how that happened. So we're exp- my videographer and I were explaining our testimonies. And so, you know, that's interesting. I grew up in the church, you know, but that stuff was just religious garbage. And I left it all. I, didn't, I wasn't interested. So, you know, I went all the way in the other direction. I became a hardcore atheist. But he said, the more I looked into that, I just discovered how empty all that was. This just empty nihilism. Like, really? My life is just molecules and flesh and blood. And, and when I'm dying, nothing happens. And there's no purpose to any of this. And he said, just last week, I picked up a Bible again. I started to read it. Man, it is effing awesome. <laughs> we said, that's awesome, man. We should study the Bible together. And he's like, yeah, that would be great. And then I said, can we pray for you? And he said, I don't know how to do that. I said, that's okay. You know, it's just like talking to a friend. It's not some weird ritual. You just tell God what you're thinking. He already knows. And so we prayed with him. Every time we were having encounters like this, not in some far off exotic place, just the University of Minnesota, a couple of guys on the street with a camera and a willingness to step through fear. Every single time we experience the power of God moving in this way, and I'm convinced that would happen here, anywhere. There's such a lie when we hear stories like that, we think, wow, that's amazing. You know, over there, that stuff happens, but not here. You don't know the difficulty of the people here. God is powerful, and he wants to work that way here too. But we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zones. You see, when you're isolated, when you don't do that, when you stay in your bubble, you start answering questions people aren't even asking. You start devising strategies, but you're so isolated, you don't even know what people think or feel or need. Jesus was so profound because he really knew people. He didn't just arbitrarily choose things like fishing and farming and sowing in seeds as illustrations. This, this was real life daily work. And yet I feel like we sometimes carry on that same mentality into a secular world And we're like, Jesus is the good shepherd. And people are like, where are the sheep? What are you talking about? Rejection is part of sharing the gospel, but let's not be rejected because we're just weird. You know, some people, they feel like, I'm a martyr and I just preach the gospel and no one gets saved, but I'm a martyr for Jesus. That's interesting. But maybe it's just because you don't know how to communicate Jesus to people in a way that they get. Maybe they're rejecting you because you're weird. So let's be like Jesus. Let's know people. Let's love people. Let's fumble over our words. Let's be awkward. Let's learn from that. Let's do it all over again. Let's be students of culture. Let's really know people. Know what's on their hearts. Know their fears. Don't answer questions they aren't asking. You know, I was talking to 
His famous apologist, John Lennox, and he's so brilliant, but he said something so simple. And he's like, you got two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. In your conversations outside of the church, if you're doing all the talking, in fact, if you're even doing most of the talking, you're doing it wrong. We should be excellent listeners, lover of people, interested in, the, in, in people. You know, my brother often says, and this sounds confusing, but he says, you know, the point is not that you share the gospel. The point is that they come to Jesus. Now, what I mean by that is we often think that I just got to say it. You know, it doesn't matter how. I just got to do it. Like, check that box. Like, here's the gospel. All right, take it or leave it. The point is that people come and encounter Jesus, which means we should care about them and how to communicate them to them in a way that they'll understand. And of course, the Holy Spirit does the work. But man, the church, we, we have got to get out, guys. And I get it. I'm busy. It's easy to stay inside my world. But we have got to open up our lives. We've got to get out there. We've got to ask the deep questions. And God will transform the way he uses us. I promise. So we need to get out of our bubbles. We need to stop being shocked by sin. I'm going to attempt to explain something that's really deep and complex. So just bear with me for a second. Sinful people sin. Right? Sinful people sin. And yet I feel like the church has equated making a difference in the world to being morally outraged. <gasps> How can they say those things? How can they act that way? We need to post about it. We need to put a bumper or sticker on our car about it. We're so morally outraged. We, we think that that what the world needs to see from us is how much we disapprove of their actions and attitudes and behaviors. That's going to make the difference. If they just know how wrong they are, then we'll get to them. Right? But if we really understood the gospel, if we really understood, if I really understood the gospel, what Jesus did for me, who I am, and what he does despite who I am, how could I be self-righteous? Why would I be shocked by sin? Jesus wasn't shocked by sin. He wasn't. He just loved people. He knew that they didn't have it all together. Raise your hand if you have it all together. Right? I, I guess I was raising my hand. That's weird. <laughs> Guys, we need to stop being shocked by sin. Yes, sin is serious. Yes, ideas and actions have consequences. But the way people reach people was through their hearts by being merciful, by being kind, by recognizing that behavior follows heart transformation. That's how he reached me, and I got a long way to go. But you see, Jesus knew our human proclivity, our capacity for self-righteousness, and he gives this gripping parable of the unforgiving debtor. There's this debtor who owes a staggering amount to a king. Let's call it a billion dollars. Let's call it unforgivable. And miraculously, the king chooses to, to wipe it clean, to forgive it all. So in response, this servant becomes the most generous, the most merciful, the most kind human being that ever lived, right? Not so much. Matthew 18, verse 28. But th when the man left the king, so right as he leaves the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, grabbed him by the throat, and demanded instant payment. The king finds out, and of course he's angry. And he responds by saying this or by doing this in verse 32. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, he, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Fair enough, right? I mean, how could he act like that? How could he forget what had been done for him and in turn treat those around him that way? And yet I think if we're really honest, that's often how we treat the shortcomings of those around us. How could they think that way, vote that way, act like that, use those words? Jesus knew sinners would sin. That's why he came. And he went after the heart first, knowing the behavior would follow him. And we need to be like him. Followers of Jesus should be the most humble, the most welcoming, the most gentle, the least shocked, the most merciful of all people. When people fail, they should want to come to us. An overwhelming majority of those that are currently living in the LGBT lifestyle grew up in the church. I'm not blaming the church, but what I'm saying is that many of them have stories of being kicked out, rejected, pushed away. We need to deal with sin. Sin is serious, but the church should be a place of mercy. People are said, come here, it's okay. Come with all your stuff. We will deal with it together. I will deal with my stuff and you will deal with yours as well. We'll do it together. Because that's who Jesus is. Have we forgotten who we are? Let me tell you, I will never graduate from being a forgiven debtor and neither will you. That's not how it works. You don't start there and then you just kind of gain points in righteousness. Like, okay, sweet. Yeah, you grow but you don't graduate from that point. You still are a forgiven debtor. That is who we are. That is the posture and the attitude that we carry with us into the world. Not like, yeah, I checked that box, and if you would too, you could come be part of this club. We are forgiven debtors, and that is how we enter into the world. And if we don't, people don't want to hear what we have to say, and why would they? Because we preach Jesus, but we practice religion. And I'm telling you, that's what young people think Jesus is. It's amazing. For better or for worse, regardless of the reasons why, young people today out there think that to come here, you got to look a certain way, act a certain way, and live up to a certain standard morally. And that is antithetical to the message of Jesus. Yes, I keep saying it. Let's take sin seriously. But let's not forget what we're doing here. Stop being shocked by sin. Let's be like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus. And finally, we need to keep it simple. You know, there's so much information out there. And I think we've really allowed fear to come into our hearts as followers of Jesus. And we just consume information. You know, all the threats that are out there is listen to this podcast and it's all the isms, Marxism and liberalism and blah, 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 and all the threats. And so we arm ourselves up with all of this information. And we think, if I just know all the right answers, then I'll be safe and I can let the world know that I'm right. But let me tell you, information doesn't save you. Jesus does. Jesus is the answer to the threats we face. Not more answers, not more correct understanding. Let me tell you something else. Good answers don't change people's hearts. Jesus does. You know, sometimes I feel like we feel that our job is to go out into the world and make dumb people smart. 
they could just know all the right things and get rid of all their bad thinking, then they could be part of the club. One thing I know for sure is Jesus is tired of us talking about liberals and Marxists and the LGBT and about all these people. And what Jesus probably would want from us instead is to talk to them. We don't need to be talking about them. We don't need to write more books about them or or get more information about how they're wrong. We need to start talking to them. Start showing the love of Jesus to people, not just distancing ourselves from them with more information. You know, in the few days after the whole George Floyd thing, you know, I'm from Minneapolis, so I was right in the middle of all that, and we went down to where it all happened to see what we could do. A lot of churches did. It was really cool. And we brought our cameras and we were talking to people and I interviewed a guy who described himself as a neo-Marxist, young dude. You know, and I could have said, hmm, interesting. Let's talk politics. Let's talk economics. Let's talk history. Let me point out all the ways that you're wrong, all the things that you haven't really thought through, the naivety of your perspective. Could have done all that. I didn't do that. I said, you know, that's interesting. You know, I I, I attempted to see past the label and I said, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And you know what I discovered? That beyond the superficiality of the label was just a guy who looked at the world and said, it's not as it ought to be. Something is profoundly broken in this world. And I connected with him on that. I said, you know, I agree with you. The world isn't as it ought to be. But you know what I see? I see that despite all of our politics and policies and medicines and technologies and cures, it's not getting better. We can't seem to fix ourselves. You know, I said, you know what's really interesting? There's a plot that Hollywood loves to tell, and it's basically this. We have an evil we can't fix. So we turn to something outside of ourselves, like a superpower, a superhero, often from outside of our world who needs to come in and rescue us from something we can't defeat. And they often sacrifice themselves in the process. I said, you know, that story, I don't think it's just a story. Let me tell you about Jesus who came from outside of us to fix in us what we could not fix for ourselves, to take on the very thing that was destroying us. And be able to share the gospel with this young guy who calls himself a neo-Marxist and explain that without Jesus, there is no justice. And I got to pray with him. But I could have gotten all caught up in the politics and the ideology and all of the wrong thinking and all of the nonsense and gotten nowhere. We would have both left, not agreeing with each other, making no progress. But instead I saw past the labels to the person. And you know what? Most people are not that different from you. They just want to be happy. They want to be healthy. They care about their families. They want the world to be better. Most people are not so evil. They're just confused. And what they need is to encounter the love of Jesus. They don't need someone to point out all their bad politics. They don't need someone to point out how dumb they are. Who's ever changed because they were told they were an idiot? Think about Jesus and his encounter with Zacchaeus. This hated betrayer, little weasel. All the people would have loved nothing more than for Jesus to call him out. Expose him for who he really was. But instead, Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. 
What impact does this have on Zacchaeus? Luke 19, 8 through 9. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Then Jesus said, Today salvation has come to the house of this man, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is how we bring Jesus into the mess. I don't even think his behavior came up. I don't know that. Jesus saw him, he loved him, and his heart was changed. Consider Romans 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is his kindness that is intended to turn you from your sin? The world is chaotic. It's been chaotic before and it will be chaotic again. But I believe followers of Jesus should thrive at a time like this. Why? Because we have the truth and we have hope. But we have got to get outside of our bubbles. We've got to stop being so shocked by sin and we've got to see people, not labels. And if we would do that, God would use you. God would use you to reach your kids or your friends or your neighbors or your colleagues. You don't have to go anywhere or do anything. God would use you. My life, if it's a testimony of anything, is that God loves to use normal, ordinary people. I've seen God do some extraordinary things because people are desperate for the truth and we need to find our voice. Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people and I pray that you would empower them, that you would use them, that you would do something extraordinary through them, Lord. Let this not be a message of condemnation, but let it be a challenge to not waste our lives. Now more than ever, followers of Jesus need to be used by you in a powerful way. So use us and let it start with me. Amen.